Welcome to another ASN podcast on policy. Today, we're joined by the Associate Professor of Medicine at Tufts University, Dr. Daniel Weiner, who is a nephrologist at Tufts Medical Center. He is recently awarded the ASN's Distinguished Leader Award. He's the Editor-in-Chief of Kidney Medicine and the Primer on Kidney Diseases, formerly chaired the ASN's Quality Committee, and represents ASN at Kidney Care Partners. Dan, welcome, and I don't know how you have time to do your day job. Uh, thanks. <laughs> thanks for having me, David. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure either, especially with how busy things have gotten in the last few weeks and how everything's been turned upside down. How are things in Boston? Well, you know, it started a little bit more slowly here. We heard um, about everything going on in the Seattle area first and then New York, and COVID has come on with a fury in the last uh, couple of weeks in eastern Massachusetts in particular, but all of the state. Um, and it's, uh, I'm sure nobody has any doubts at this point, but if they did, um, hopefully I can eliminate those doubts and just say that this is, this is very real and uh, this is causing major illness for, for many of our most fragile, vulnerable patients. Well, we do know that this has been a very difficult time for everyone, and we really appreciate uh, all the time that you've put in, the work you've put in, and I've been able to talk to you throughout the last couple of weeks, and I know you have had to face some very difficult times and you know, do a lot of work for your patients. So uh, everyone thanks you, thanks the other nephrologists, the other physicians, and the nurses, and all the other people who are involved. So thank you. Thank you. That's really kind. And uh, yeah, it, I mean, I think one thing that's really been highlighted throughout this time is just how much of a community we are um, within nephrology, um, doctors, nurses, technicians in the dialysis unit, staff at hospitals everywhere. It's It's been, well, this has been somewhat something of a terrible experience. At the same time, it's been very rewarding to see everybody really step up and come together to, to, to meet the mission, to take care of patients who are really in need of, of kidney care. Well, we asked you here today because you've talked a great deal um, in a lot of different venues about how this is the time that we need to step up and research what's going on and talk to you've talked very powerfully about what you don't know yourself as a nephrologist dealing with this virus and kidneys you would you mind getting us started just give us a little overview of, of how you see that situation yeah so i spend a lot of time in an outpatient dialysis facility and i spend time in an academic teaching hospital and each day, um, even before COVID happened, I'm, I'm confronted by how much I don't know and questions that I want to answer. And that was something so new and something so all-encompassing. It just becomes so readily apparent how much less I knew than I even thought I knew before. Um, and just where we have deficits in our practices. With COVID, it was somewhat interesting. And as much as we did have a little bit of warning to try to prepare for what was going to come next. And I guess they say that every battle plan lasts until the first shot is fired. And I think that's where we stood with, with COVID. We tried to prepare our outpatient dialysis facility as best possible, prepare the hospital as best possible, came up with great plans for triaging, for isolating, for testing. And every one of those plans has had to become flexible as we are learning more and realizing just what we don't know and just how quickly we need to adjust on the fly to changing circumstances and changing knowledge. So where are you in in this process? Uh, I mean, 
you, you talked about getting the plans ready and then implementation came and the need to transition. Where do you, and I'm, I know we don't, I'm not talking about long-term, long-end, but just where are you, um, where's Boston, where are COVID patients right now in the United States? Yeah, so right now I think we are one of the peak surges in the United States. Massachusetts, I think, has the third most COVID cases and the third most COVID deaths in the country. And we have maybe plateaued right about now in terms of number of positive cases um, seem to be leveling off a little bit. What this means is that the hospitals are very busy. Dialysis units have a lot of patients who are positive and struggling to figure out how to provide safe care for those individuals. There's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of stress um, that the people who are essentially the system are really trying hard to deal with. And I think as we approach this problem, the biggest question is how do we keep patients safe if we're looking at the outpatient setting? And in terms of looking at the inpatient setting, how do we prevent and treat acute kidney injury and treat chronic kidney failure among people who have COVID? And those are really the questions that truly jump out at me in this particular time. And I know you want to talk about that. Uh, I also want to hear you talk a little bit about research, and we can get to that a little bit later. I know you've You've been making a very strong argument in a lot of um, a lot of corners of the kidney community about how we need to get on top of research in terms of what this virus does to people and what we might do as we prepare for you know future encounters with the virus. Where do you want to start? I, th I think we can start with research, and I'd like to start actually with the outpatient setting with the kidney failure patients. Even before okay. this was an issue. Um, we really did not have a great idea as to how to protect our patients um, most optimally um, from infection. Um, infection is a huge deal um, in people with kidney failure, both bacterial infections and viral infections. And you can see in the last couple of years, there's been an increasing number of articles even written about influenza vaccination and how to do this and what the optimal techniques are. And in some cases, that highlights where we are today and where we need to be in the next six to 12 months. One of the few ways that I personally see us emerging from this COVID crisis is if we know how to protect patients. And our hope obviously is twofold. Is number one, there'll be enough herd immunity out there that there just won't be a lot of transmission of disease. Um, the second is that there'll be a vaccine and that we'll be able to both increase herd immunity and protect vulnerable patients um, from COVID. Going back to the influenza analogy, we don't even know how to immunize our patients against influenza, for which we've had vaccines for decades um, to try to treat. We don't know whether we use a high dose, whether we use an adjuvant vaccine, whether we use other techniques, whether immunity persists year after year, both in dialysis and in the general population. And these are key questions for the special vulnerable population that is kidney failure that we're going to need to answer in order to figure out how to provide the best care and keep our patients as safe as possible in this time of uncertainty. I think we also need to understand how patients develop and how to diagnose whether or not individuals are immune to this disease, because this is going to allow us to appropriately cohort patients and cohort staff who were able to take care of patients in these settings. So that would be, am I correct, would that be your kind of short-term analysis of what you need to do in terms of the, let's say, three to six months ahead? 
I think that's a, that's definitely a priority for the remainder of 2020. What about longer term? In the longer term, I think there's a few things. Again, focusing on the outpatient um, advanced chronic kidney disease, kidney failure population, I think that COVID really highlights everything that we already knew, um, specifically that we need to look at kidney health and we need to look at keeping people with chronic kidney disease from needing dialysis, from needing to be in a forced congregate setting um, for as long as possible. And when that happens, we need to try to redirect patients to kidney transplant, to home dialysis. And we need to innovate in order to get technologies and get methods and develop strategies to make that happen. And in that sense, I think we've had a roadmap as for where we need to go. As a community, I think we acknowledge that in-center hemodialysis is incredible. It's a life-saving mm -hmm. technology. It's key for hundreds of thousands of people in the United States. But I think we also acknowledge that there are many people who may do better with other modalities. And optimally, we could prevent kidneys from failing in the first place. Um, so this really highlights by showing us the vulnerability of an in-center hemodialysis setting and transportation that goes along with it, the need for high staffing levels relative to the numbers of patients, the need to really view a different paradigm. And the only way to really change that paradigm is to learn, to research, to innovate, to develop mm -hmm. artificial kidneys, implantable kidneys, um, anything that can reduce the need for congregate dialysis that just enhances vulnerability. Well, I know you're talking about more than COVID-19, but it also strikes me that when you, you're talking um, that you implied in this conversation, you think that we'll be dealing with COVID-19 for some time into the future. Is that correct? So, you know, if I knew the answer to that question, um, Dr. Fauci would be on the phone with me right now. Um, I think we have to, number one, prepare ourselves for that potential circumstance that COVID-19 is going to be around for a long time to come. Um, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know whether immunity is going to be durable. We don't know how many people have already had COVID and may not be vulnerable to it. We, we just don't know. But I, I think if the last decade has taught us as a society anything, is that these 100 or 1,000-year events seem to be happening every five to 10 years, whether it's weather, whether it's infections, anything, that things we thought would just never happen, these catastrophes, they happen increasingly frequently. And we need to be prepared, even if it's not COVID, for the next thing um, that comes down the pike that is like this. This has really highlighted our vulnerabilities. When you talk about this, I, I mean, I've seen some of the recommendations you have made. Um, can you give us an idea of some of the particular aspects of research that you'd like to see undertaken, and I, I know that you've been asking for them to be funded sooner, as soon as possible by Congress, and you've made that advocacy, uh, you've made that case very well um, in different venues. So could you tell us a little bit about some of the things you think should be on that, um, for lack of a better term, that wish list of what you think needs to be looked at fast? So for the acute setting, I think we need to have a much better understanding of acute kidney injury, um, why this happens, how we can prevent this, how cytokines are involved in this process, um, and then how to treat AKI. You've seen sort of back to the future moments where people are doing acute PD um, in patients in New York. 
you see us struggling with CVVHD, particularly with how to anticoagulate people and what the optimal catheters are um, in order to get flows that are sufficient to get high-quality continuous dialysis. Um, th these are things that with investment in knowledge and investment in technology, we can certainly do better at um, understanding AKI and understanding how to treat AKI. And I think that's a big deal, and that's something that's definitely been highlighted. I think mm -hmm. additional things that have been highlighted is understanding how infection works in vulnerable populations. This would be advanced chronic kidney disease, dialysis, and transplant. With the in-center hemodialysis patients, in my opinion, the most vulnerable due to the fact that they congregate um, multiple times a week in the healthcare setting. And in doing this, research that I think we have to push for is how to assess and understand immunity, both among the patients that we care for, but also among the healthcare workers who are caring for these patients on a day-to-day -day basis. I think we need to understand what preventative strategies exist. Does masking work? How do we prevent certain airborne transmission of illnesses? Um, what's the timeline that we expect for a serologic response? How do we actually get a serologic response if we're doing it with a vaccine, and how do we define whether or not somebody is immune? I can look at where we are today and go, yeah, I wish we didn't have to do this. Yeah, I wish I didn't. we didn't have to do that. I wish I knew how to do this better. And I think every single person who's dealing with this pandemic has those same moments and those same thoughts. We have to write those down, and then we have to run with them. We need to figure out for all these wishes that we have as we're going through our day-to-day -day lives trying to care for our patients, write these down and then figure out how we make those wishes come true. How do we get there? And promoting support to get there and funding to get there and the generation of knowledge and the education of future researchers to get there, this is where we have to be. You have talked um, very passionately about this. And, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, you've advocated for emergency funding in the next COVID-19 package that Congress might pass. Um, that would be specific and above what NIDDK might normally get in its budget. Um, is is that accurate to a characterization? How do you feel about that? I think what increasing more? funding um, for research into how we prevent and treat kidney diseases is absolutely essential. And specifically addressing this COVID pandemic um, while also preparing for the next one that's going to happen. It can't be business as usual. And everything that we're seeing right now really highlights um, where we need to be in the future. We'd be talking for NIDDK something probably on the order of $100 million in order to figure out how to tackle COVID-19 among people with advanced chronic kidney disease, as well as among people who develop acute kidney injury. I think with that sort of investment, we can make a real difference, not only for the current pandemic, but also for the next pandemic to come. You've talked about acute kidney injury several times here, and, and I know that's uh, been a, a big impact, big factor with this virus for many patients. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what you want to see specifically on that? You've mentioned a few things, but I just wanted to circle back to that subject and see anything particular. I know you've been having some really difficult times on the ground with such issues as transportation, um, which may seem mundane, but it seems like it's become quite a problem. With regard to acute kidney injury, this is a major cause of morbidity and mortality among individuals hospitalized with COVID. 
Um, kidneys seem to be a very vulnerable organ. Um, may or may not be hemodynamic, we don't understand. There may or may not be direct um, implications of the virus on kidney tissue. We don't understand that. Um, these individuals who have COVID-19 seem to be particularly prone to clot. They're, they're prothrombotic. We don't understand that, and we don't understand how that interfaces with AKI. And looking at all of these things together, it really sets up a very challenging environment for how to treat these people when their kidneys do fail. How do we provide kidney replacement therapy? So I can come up with a dozen questions here that I'm struggling with on a day-to-day -day basis as I'm seeing patients affected by COVID that really need to be answered in order to help us help our patients and in order to position us where we need to be for the next time something like this happens. Either should COVID quiet down and then come back with a vengeance um, several months from now or for the next pandemic that is similar to this. Um, you earlier mentioned something about transportation. And at least for me as somebody who helps run a dialysis unit, this is a this is a huge deal. Um, and this is one of the more frustrating aspects of COVID because this is something where, in my opinion, it should be solvable. But the only way that in-center hemodialysis works is if patients can get there and patients can get back from there. We've been really struggling with how to safely transport patients from their homes to dialysis facilities in order to provide them with the dialysis care that they need in order to maintain their level of health. Um, these are these are patients with COVID-19. These are patients with COVID-19 or patients okay. who may be under investigation with COVID-19. So these are individuals who standard transportation, rides, cabs, so on and so forth, are unlikely to want to transport and may not have the capability to transport them safely in terms of reducing the risk of infection, either for the drivers or for whomever gets into that car next. So the the key issue, though, is that if a patient can't get to dialysis, they're going to get into trouble from their kidney failure and they're going to end up in the hospital. If you have a patient with COVID-19 in the hospital who's ready for discharge, if they can't get to and from dialysis um, following discharge, then they can't leave the hospital. You have capacity um, in dialysis units at this time, many dialysis units in areas that have been heavily impacted by COVID have set up either facilities that are specifically dedicated to the care of patients with COVID-19 or shifts within the facilities, usually at the end of the day, that are specifically dedicated to patients with COVID-19. And that capacity exists, and really that capacity serves the purpose of offloading the inpatient hospitals to take care of patients who really require high-level hospital-based care. So solving the transportation issue is huge. Several states have stepped up and have allowed ambulance transporter have set up other specialized rides and services for patients. Um, this would be for people who are covered by Medicaid, for example, within their state. Yeah. At the current time, CMS has not relaxed their rules regarding transportation. So ambulance transport is still limited to patients who are non-ambulatory. Um, in order to come from a home setting to a dialysis setting. Um, and, and this leaves limited options for how to safely get patients to dialysis. We really need enhanced teamwork in order to get to a solution for this problem. It's something that should be solvable and it's something that can be solved. And it's just something that needs to sort of be talked out quickly um, and figure out 
how to have the resources allocated properly to get patients less resource-intensive dialysis in an outpatient setting rather than more resource-intensive dialysis in an inpatient setting. You and I have talked about this one for a good deal of time now, and I've had to be in many of those conversations with HHS, and it it does seem to be a real quagmire. Um, we've been given some advice that we're going to try to disseminate to, to members and listeners, but I'm not sure exactly how valuable it is. Right now, the Office of the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, ASPR, wants you in those situations to contact your ESRD network and ask them to file an alert with ASPR to get it corrected. Um, do you have any reactions to that process? Yes. So locally in the greater Boston area, we formed a, um, a working group with uh, most of the medical directors of Boston area dialysis facilities, some representation from dialysis providers, as well as representation from the Massachusetts Department of Public Health and the network. And I've been talking with people from the network um, or emailing them on a daily basis, and they have been huge champions to try to advocate for transportation policy. I think they were instrumental in making a breakthrough for Medicaid-only patients, and they're working hard with um, contacts at CMS in order to address the shortcomings in the current transportation policy for ambulatory COVID-positive non-hospitalized hemodialysis patients. But as best I can tell, um, despite efforts um, from many, we, we just aren't where we need to be yet with a, with a scalable solution that's going to handle the hundreds um, or thousands of dialysis patients who have COVID who need to get to their dialysis units. That sounds to be kind of thematic in, in our conversation here. Is we're not where we need to be yet. Would you agree with that? I agree entirely with that, that we are not where we need to be yet. In terms of transportation, that's just one example. And that's an example that actually I think could be solved with the resources that we have at hand um, as a community. In terms of where we need to be, um, this is an area that, that actually going full circle here does certainly require more research because as um, particularly in the dialysis setting, I need to know who's positive and who's negative. I need to know which staff are positive and which staff are negative in order to know who can treat who and in what setting they can be treated. Um, right now, um, we do not have widespread availability of universal testing for active COVID cases, and we don't really have an understanding of serologies or high-quality tests that we're aware of. Um, for serologies, including any tests that are evaluated in the dialysis population, to figure out who is immune and who is vulnerable um, to COVID-19. We desperately need this. I can tell you from our own personal experience in, um, in the dialysis unit that I help run, we've tested um, people who are asymptomatic who've come back COVID positive. And mm -hmm. in a fascinating examples, a few of these people have gone on to remain asymptomatic, while others have gone on to become very sick two, three, six, seven days later. In the interim, we don't understand if these people are contagious, if they could be exposing other people to COVID. Um, we don't understand who's going to get sick and who's not going to get sick. And knowledge of whether or not somebody is positive really affects how and where we can treat them. 
So we need to have universal ability to test in these forced congregate settings where people cannot socially isolate and cannot socially distance in order to provide safe care. And we're not there yet. Well, Dan, this has been an, a, a really enlightening conversation. Um, I know it's challenging, and I know we all appreciate the work that you are doing and that others are doing. And with that, I'd just like to say thank you and let you have the, the concluding comments. Uh, thank you very much, David, for having me. I, I'd, I'd like to thank ASN not only for their leadership in this pandemic, but also for their collaborative spirit in this pandemic. It's really remarkable how all members of the community have truly come together, have, have joined up to try to tackle COVID-19, keeping in mind at all times that the, the safety and the health of the patient is really our reason for, for doing this. And ASN has been a, a tremendous voice and a tremendous influence in this, along with the, the rest of the kidney community. So thank you very much for having me. Thank you. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology, all rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified healthcare provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the American Society of Nephrology.